The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. Thankful to be here this morning and to have um, this opportunity to stand before you. I'm anxious for um, you all to hear Brother Sonstegard preach this morning, so I'm going to be uh, brief. Um, I used to think that um, to cover a subject took at least 45 minutes to an hour. When I was in Africa, um, you had to preach through interpreters. And so uh, an hour message was actually about 30 minutes long. Um, and um, as much as we were constantly pressed for time and always late, um, we generally didn't even take that much time. So. This morning, uh, we're going to take the African approach, if you will, uh, to preaching the gospel. <clears throat> we um, truly are a blessed people here in the United States of America. Um, I, uh, with my wife and my granddaughter, uh, went to the World War II Museum in New Orleans um, the day before yesterday. And at the end of the exhibits, they uh, post numbers of people who died um, in that war. In all, in all, there were 65 million people killed in World War II. And of course, um, a good percentage of those, a majority of them, were civilians. And uh, part of the reason that so many civilians were killed was uh, from the Japanese perspective, um, they saw themselves as racially superior, and so um, they used the Chinese, for instance, as slave laborers and worked them to death. And there were some 20 million Chinese died um, during World War II at the hands of the Japanese. And we're all aware of what um, the Germans did um, with the Jews for the same reason. They, they believed that um, they, as an Aryan race, were superior and that um, all other races were inferior and therefore um, were a problem to be dealt with. And they had what they called the final solution, which were um, the chambers and the furnaces at places like the gas chambers and the furnaces at places like Auschwitz. Have you ever thought what America would be like today if the Japanese and the Germans had won World War II? In all likelihood, um, the West Coast, at least to the Rocky Mountains, would be um, occupied and governed by the Japanese. And likely, the rest of the United States would, would be under German occupation and rule. <clears throat> that means a lot of us wouldn't be here. Um, I, I would be one of them. My father lost a leg in World War II, so he would have been no good at slave labor, and they would have got rid of him, my, my father, I mean. Uh, they would have got rid of him, and so I wouldn't be here. And no doubt, those of you that um, have um, Eastern European blood, that have Native American blood, that have Asian blood um, in your veins that is not Japanese blood, um, you too would not be here today. The world would be a very different place, wouldn't it? Now, as we think in horror, of what could have been, um, apart from the mercy and providence of God, I want you to think about this. 
what would life be if there never had been a Jesus Christ? Mm. What would life be? Mm. In the uh, book of Ezekiel, there is a description that um, specifically is applied to Jerusalem, but it is a description that has a general application to the condition of humanity um, 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 and relationship to our fallen nature and also the mercies of God. And this is contained in the 16th chapter of the book of Ezekiel. And the writer says, and beginning in uh, verse 4, As for thy nativity, in the day thou wast born, thy navel was not cut, neither wast thou washed in water to supple thee. Thou wast not salted at all, nor swaddled at all. None I pitied thee to do any of these things unto thee, to have compassion upon thee, but thou wast cast out in the open field to the loathing of thy person in the day that thou wast born. And when I saw thee, I passed by thee, and saw thee polluted in thine own blood. I said unto thee, <clears throat> whom um, I said unto thee, when thou wast in thy blood, live. Yea, I said unto thee, live, when thou wast in thy blood. Now, the description that um, Ezekiel is giving here, um, if you look at it carefully, is a stillborn child. And it's a stillborn child um, that is just so much human waste um, to be disposed of. It's a stillborn child um, that the mother had no um, sorrow for and had no compassion toward that the father um, didn't care enough about the child to even provide a grave for it. They just threw it out in an open field for the animals to consume. And apart from the grace and mercy of God, that's us. Amen. That's us. You see, without Christ Jesus, the horrors that we would imagine of a nation occupied by German and Japanese rulers um, is trivial Amen. compared to the condition of man apart from the grace of God. Amen. This morning for just a few minutes, and I, I'm going to do, I'll try to do this in about 15 minutes. In just a few minutes, I want us to look at um, what happened to us and what yet will occur with us when the Lord said unto us, Live, ye live. Over in the first chapter of the book of Ephesians, in um, chapter 4, and let's go over there very quickly, the, uh, the apostle is talking about <clears throat> the great blessings of the Lord upon us. And he says, um, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. 
Now there the, the apostle um, is uh, talking to us about um, adoption. And he says that, that uh, we are predestinated to the adoption of children. Now, in the other places where the Apostle Paul speaks of adoption, as he is here, he's speaking to a Gentile um, congregation, a Gentile church for the most part. And these are folks that have um, lived for um, centuries now, in each case, whether it's the Roman church that he's speaking uh, to, or whether it's the, um, the saints at Galatia that he's speaking to, these are folks that have been under Roman law for centuries. And Roman law was very specific where adoption was concerned. You know, if you go and look in the Old Testament, there's no example of adoption in the Old Testament because there is no provision under Mosaic law for adoption because um, family responsibility is... Um, was contained in the body of the law so that if a parent, uh, if a father died, uh, then an uncle had a responsibility to those children. And so there was no provision for adoption, but not so in the Roman, um, under Roman law. As a matter of fact, under Roman law, um, adoption was used in a rather cynical way. But at the same time, it pre presents kind of an interesting picture as you um, read Paul using adoption um, as a metaphor for the children of God um, gaining God's identity, yeah. <clears throat> becoming children of God, the elect of God. Here he says that we are chosen um, uh, in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world, uh, predestinated to the adoption um, of children. Under the Roman law system, <clears throat> the way it worked is they had a uh, they had um, rules concerning one's standing in society uh, based upon their net worth. And for instance, if you wanted to be a member of the Senate, if you wanted to be a patrician, it was necessary that you maintain a net worth that in today's dollars um, would never fall below one and a half million dollars. <clears throat> that if you were a senator and you fell on hard times and your net worth went below one and a half million dollars, you could not be a senator anymore. By the same token, there was a middle class that had certain privileges that were better than the plebeians, who were the lowest class of citizens, and those folks had to maintain a net worth of, in today's dollars, $600,000. Well, what that did is it, um, it um, inclined the Roman citizens to limit the size of their families, and in some cases, not have children at all that uh, rather than having children, they would adopt. You see, the problem was that if you had a whole house full of kids, um, you had dowries to pay for the daughters, and then when you died, uh, your wealth was uh, distributed among your sons, um, and the net worth was um, so uh, uh, damaged or so divided up um, that you would lose your patrician status or your, um, uh, your equestrian status, whichever the case may be. And so the Romans tended not to have many children. Most of them it would have uh, one or perhaps two and sometimes three, but seldom more than that. And, and if a, a, a Roman citizen who was, for instance, a patrician, um, didn't have a son, he would adopt someone to be his son so that his name would carry on and so that um, uh, his standing in history would, uh, would be preserved 
and, and um, his status in society as a patrician, for instance, or an equestrian, whichever the case might be, um, would be maintained. They would maintain their standing in Roman society. And so they practiced adoption. And a lot of times, the people they adopted were slaves. And they would pick someone to adopt. There was a, about a 200-year span where most of the emperors, uh, the, the Caesars of Rome, um, were adopted. And um, the reason for that was that uh, the, the, uh, the Caesar Octavius, for instance, was, was adopted uh, from Jul by Julius Caesar, and Julius Caesar adopted him because he didn't produce an heir uh, that had sense enough to rule Rome. And so he adopted um, someone else so that they could take his place as the emperor of Rome. So they would look at the quality of intelligence and character and that sort of thing. And very often it was an adult that was adopted. And very often it was a slave that was adopted. Now there was an interesting thing. If you were a freeman but not a Roman citizen, you could not be adopted by a Roman. But if you were a slave and a Roman um, uh, wanted to adopt you, they would redeem you from your owner, buy you, and then set you free. And in setting you free, that automatically gave you Roman citizenship. That automatically gave you, gave you Roman citizenship. <clears throat> but typically it was only one child that was adopted because they just wanted an heir. They just wanted someone to carry on the name. And if they adopted you know, three or four sons and a couple of daughters, if they filled their house with, with uh, little orphan children, as adoption typically takes place today, if they did something like that, um, then their wealth would be so diluted that um, they would lose their standing. Now I want you to think about God and His choice in adoption. Yeah. That we were chosen in Christ and predestinated to the adoption of children. He didn't choose us in Christ just to save us so that we could um, just have an idyllic existence here on earth and perhaps live in eternity, um, but live as the angels live in eternity. He made us His children. <laughs> and the reason that He could do that is because if he had chosen every person that would ever exist on the face of the earth, it would not dilute his wealth one whit. So he could choose an innumerable host. He didn't choose everybody. But from the standpoint of the audience the Apostle Paul is writing to here and writing to in the Roman letter, uh, when he talks about um, election and he talks about uh, uh, election to the predestination of the adoption of children and he's presenting it as a huge number, he's making a statement about the power and wealth of God. And those folks understood that. They understood that. Let's go for a moment, if we will, and we're going to hurry through this. Let's go for a moment, if we will. We've talked about election. If we'll go over to the 8th chapter of <clears throat> uh, the Roman letter, <clears throat> Paul tells us in verse 15, For ye have not received 
um, the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby ye cry, Abba, Father. For the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and if children, then heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ Jesus, if so be we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified um, together. And so he tells us that this adoption um, conveys to us um, the sense of being a child of God. And the way that that sense of being one of God's children is conveyed to us is that the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. But if we're dead babies laying out in a field, polluted in our own blood, um, that witnessing can't take place. Something has to occur within us um, in order for there to be something for the Spirit to witness to. So um, he quickens us who are dead in trespasses and sin, um, gives us spiritual life, and in the giving of spiritual life, um, gives us the gift of faith at the spiritual level, whereby the Spirit of God testifies conjointly with our spirits that we're God's children, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. There's no English word for Abba. It's a Chaldean word, and it's a term of endearment about the nearest thing um, in English might be daddy or papa. And for emphasis, Paul says, um, we cry, daddy, father, to God. The Spirit bears witness with our spirit. Do you understand? Uh, Beareth witness with is a single word that means to testify conjointly. When you testify conjointly, uh, that is two um, beings um, saying the same thing at precisely the same moment so that there is complete agreement in the testimony. You know, in uh, court cases, that's a problem sometimes. People will testify from different perspectives, and those perspectives will give them different ideas of what actually occurred. But here, um, there is only one perspective, and that's the God perspective, um, that he's not given us the spirit of bondage again unto fear, but he's given us the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And so we see that regeneration is part of this. If we'll go um, now over to the fourth chapter of the book of Galatians. And he talks there, and I'm not going to go over there. I don't want to take the time. He talks there in the the fourth chapter of the book of of Galatians, along about uh, verse 5, I believe, is that that we have received um, redemption um, to the adoption of sons. You recall how I told you that that, uh, under Roman law, if you were a slave, um, you could be redeemed. um, And having been redeemed, the one who redeemed you could free you. And in freeing you, you became a citizen. And that citizenship made you eligible for adoption. Well, the one who came and redeemed us at Calvary is Christ Jesus. He set us free from the bondage of the corruption of sin by taking our sins upon himself um, and in doing so redeemed us to the adoption of sons. You know, I love the fact that the Apostle Paul said the adoption of sons. Do you understand that the adoption of sons um, is um, acknowledging a status? In Roman society, males had a superior status over females. That's just the way it was. Females couldn't inherit. 
And it's just the way it was. And when he tells the family of God, male and female, that you've been redeemed unto the adoption of sons, he's saying you all have equal status that's right. in the Lord's family. Yeah, that's right. You all have equal standing um, in the Lord's family. You see, being a joint heir with Christ Jesus um, doesn't mean that you have your little percentage of the, of the uh, inheritance of God and this person over here has their little percentage and this person over here has their little percentage. Um, rather, being a joint heir uh, means that collectively we all have it all. Amen. <clears throat> that the Lord um, has given His all to all of us and we share it all equally Amen. in kind. So we can see that adoption involves redemption. And then again in the 8th chapter of the Roman letter, the Apostle Paul um, says that we're waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our bodies. I'm so thankful for that. Amen. You know, <clears throat> uh, when I was a little boy, I, I used to think, well, it's, it's enough that I'm born of the Spirit of God, and then when I die, my spirit's going to go and be with the Lord. What does all this body stuff have to do with? Well, as I've gotten older, I've gotten more fond of my body. <laughs> and as, if, as I've gotten more frail as I've gotten older, I, I, I try to take better care of my body than I did. You know, I wasted a lot of, uh, a, a, a lot of I, I undervalued my body when I was a young person. <clears throat> and I wasted it. And now I'm paying the price for it in some instances. But my point is this. That this spirit, this adoption that brings us into the family of God is a whole person adoption. Amen. You're born of the Spirit of God, whereby you cry, Abba, Father, <clears throat> through the spirit of adoption that is within you. That you understand that having been born of the Spirit of God and His Spirit dwelling in us, that um, we are God's children. But God in His kindness and mercy. You know, He made our bodies. <clears throat> so obviously they're good enough for Him. Yeah. You know, if, if, they, if, if they weren't good enough for Him the way He made them, then He would have made them some other right. way so that right. they would have been good enough for Him because He could do whatever He wanted to. Right. You see that? Yeah. <clears throat> and He obviously had a desire for our material existence or he would have just left us spirits like he did or made us spirits like he did the angels. The problem that we have is that our struggle with sin very often causes us to um, have disregard for something that in fact is very precious to God that Christ Jesus gave his life for which is our bodies. And we should respect them, if not for the uh, simple fact that we're created in the image of God, we should respect them um, because God so valued our bodies that He sent Christ to die for us. Amen. See, we're being, we were predestinated to be conformed, to be conformed to the image of Christ. And that confirmation to the image of Christ <clears throat> occurs in its completeness occurs in its completeness when Jesus comes again and raises our bodies from the dust and reconstitutes us um, into glorious bodies. Amen. Glorified bodies. 
and our spirit and soul has returned with the Lord, will join our bodies and reanimate and will forever be with the Lord. Job said, I'll see him with my own eyes. That's right. Not the eyes of another. That's right. Amen. That it's going to be each one of us that are going to see the Lord. Amen. And these old blind eyes that I have, they're going to see them as good as you do. As good as you do. I'm longing for that day. God bless you. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. Peace and love.